Welcome to this week's Investor Podcast, where a senior investment expert gives us Schroeder's perspectives on the issues that are preoccupying markets. This is Gavin Ralston. Uh, our guest this week is Alex Tedder, Head of Global and International Equities. Alex, great to have you back. Thank you, Gavin. I will be listening particularly carefully today because the last time you and I spoke on this call, you predicted that equity markets would continue to squeeze up in the second quarter, even after their strong performance in the first three months of the year. And so it has proved, with investors exhibiting the notorious fear of missing out. The MSCI World Index rose 4% in the second quarter and is now up 17% year to date. On that occasion, in that conversation, you were much less sanguine about the second half of the year, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But if we turn to the more immediate environment, last week Phil Chandler talked about the balancing act that has kept equity markets close to all-time highs and at the same time bond yields close to secular lows. That balance was maintained in the last week of the quarter, so we ended June with strong equity markets and 10-year bond yields today still at 2% in the US and minus 36 basis points in Germany. And the recent data has confirmed the slowdown narrative, for example, manufacturing PMIs in Europe and then the manufacturing ISM in the US, which markets have latched onto as further justification for aggressive easing by the Fed and other central banks. The other event of last week was, of course, the G20 meeting, which gave hope to the optimists on the US-China trade dispute with a restart of the talks and a postponement of the latest increase in US tariffs. But recent experience would suggest we should not build our hopes on this for too long. So, Alex, coming back to the point you made last time about the second half of the year being more difficult than the first, is that still how you view the outlook? Yeah, um, yes, it is, Gavin. Th and thank you for um, remembering and reminding our listeners that uh, that I did make that call because, it, pleasingly, it has panned out so far. But uh, we're sticking with our view, somewhat cautious view, certainly on a 12-month view. Um, I think in the very short term, there's a distinct possibility that we get another leg up in markets simply because I think we're in a phase now where a lot of investors having been on the sidelines are at least thinking about getting back in and perhaps marginally starting to put some money to work. And perhaps we'll talk about that more. Mm. Uh, but on a 12 month view, all the conditions are in place, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for a uh, a pullback of some sort in equity markets, perhaps not an aggressive one, but certainly some sort of pullback, and perhaps the beginning of a bear market. And that's because market values have got ahead of fundamentals, or because there's going to be some bad news flow which is going to undermine the current level of confidence? It's interesting. If you look at markets today, they don't look egregiously valued versus history. In aggregate, markets are trading on somewhere between 11 and 14 times 12-month forward earnings, which doesn't seem egregious. Uh, I think the problem from my standpoint is that, particularly when it comes to S&P earnings, estimates for 2020 are still too high. Consensus is going for 11% year-on-year earnings, uh, earnings growth for 2020 versus 2019. That looks like a stretch. And elsewhere, estimates still look somewhat high, uh, given the lacklustre data, as you've pointed out. The problem is this, profitability is at record levels. I've talked about this before. Margins in the US are at record highs. And my concern is that all the conditions are in place now for the tailwinds to become headwinds 
on a number of fronts. That will present margin pressure and possibly downward pressure on equities. You made a comment a moment ago about investors sitting on the sidelines. Mm. And it's interesting if you look at the data. So in cross-border intermediary, an important part of our business, there have been persistent outflows from equity funds throughout this year. If you look at the US, the level of inflows into ETFs, equity ETFs, has been less than half of what it was in the first six months of 2018. Mm. Why are equities, in your view, so unloved? Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, because, you know, markets are doing well. IPOs are flying off the shelf mostly. And yet, um, overall volumes into markets, as you say, have not been that strong. The reason is uncertainty. I mean, I think we're all familiar with it. Probably every speaker that comes on r reminds uh, our listeners that there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And um, Trump tweets are the order of the day still, and they do have a big impact on markets. The fact is the framework for markets um, is unusually uncertain, in my view, for a whole bunch of reasons. And notwithstanding the recent somewhat positive news flow that we've had from central banks and the Trump truce, if you like, um, that uncertainty persists. I think that's what's holding investors back, understandably. But I think we're also coming into a phase now where there's a fear of missing out. The FOMO effect, I think, could be quite Spoken pronounced. like a true millennial. Indeed. Uh, uh, <laughs> the FOMO effect, I think, could be really quite pronounced over the next few weeks, particularly if earnings season proves to be strong. The other factor that people point to is the disconnect between the level of equity markets and the level of bond yields. Mm. And the idea that the Fed is going to ease aggressively seems to be more consistent with a recessionary environment than it does with a, an environment of steady ongoing earnings growth. Does. How, how does that disconnect get worked out? Yes, very interesting. I mean, the inverted yield curve has been, the, or the inversion has been a good predictor of recessions. And we were talking about it before, Gavin. The market's getting more efficient at predicting uh, recessions, the bond market specifically. And there's, you know, one thing's for sure is that a recession is coming at some point. We may be well ahead of the actual recession happening, but it is going to come. Uh, and so, understandably, investors are looking at the scope for rate cuts, thinking about the impact, thinking about the growth outlook. But I think in the very short term, what you're seeing is investors generally applying lower discount rates, particularly to growth stocks, and that's having a positive impact on equity markets, particularly actually the more expensive end of the equity market spectrum, interestingly. So let's move on to the, the mega cap stocks, particularly mm. in the US and the tech stocks in particular, because you said a moment ago that the valuation of equity markets in general was not egregious, mm. but many uh, of the bears around would say that it is egregious with the large tech stocks. Mm. Um, and that's where the real focus of concern about markets is. What, what, what's your view on that one? So there's no doubt that uh, big parts of the universe, particularly the United States, you know, have had a pretty good run and are now trending at pretty high multiples, particularly growth stocks, technology stocks being the primary example. Multiples for tech, for tech, uh, big tech companies now, I'm just looking at the list, range from, on a sales basis, somewhere between four times sales and 10 times sales for the big cap stocks. So the higher growth stocks like Netflix, Facebook, uh, Tencent, uh, and Microsoft are all trading on roughly 10 times forward sales. That's a big multiple, um, but it's not off the charts. And um, 
given how strong the return on capital is, the return on equity uh, generally is for this type of company, those multiples actually look quite justified uh, going forward, assuming no change in the regulatory environment. And we've talked about the effect of lower interest rates. I mean, that does have a big impact on these companies because through the discount rate. And therefore, one could argue that the ratings can be sustained. And in the short term, that would definitely be my view. In contrast, actually, the value end of the spectrum, primarily financial stocks, also industrials uh, and material stocks, but particularly financials, are actually mm, suffering. Although they're cheap on a headline basis, they're suffering from the perception that lower interest rates means lower spreads. Uh, and so you're getting this disconnect between growth, perceived growth, and value that could persist for a few weeks and months more. So just home in for a moment on the, the large tech stocks and tell us a bit more about which you're still comfortable owning and which you're more concerned about. I think with Microsoft now at its current level of uh, over a trillion dollar market cap, um, it's trading on 30 times earnings. The story is now, I think, very well understood by investors. And obviously the company and the chief executive in particular has done a fantastic job since he uh, joined the company a few years ago. It's not that long ago that Microsoft was trading on eight times forward earnings, uh, as literally five, six years ago. And, and so you can see how far investor perception has come around the Microsoft business model. That's one where I think the headroom now is somewhat limited. Uh, not catastrophically so, but I wouldn't see a lot of upside in Microsoft from here. Uh, where, where we're more sanguine is in stocks like Alphabet, which has been a relatively poor performer around, primarily around regulatory concerns. Will Google be broken up or not? Is the Google search model in jeopardy? We don't think it is. We can't rule out regulation for big, te uh, big tech stocks, particularly stocks like uh, Google that dominate the search market. But I think with the current regime, we're unlikely to see a drastic change in the regulatory environment. And Google, after adjusting for its cash position, is actually trading on a very reasonable uh, earnings multiple around 20 times. So still very positive on that one. So somebody made the comment to me the other day that in the end, companies like Alphabet and Facebook are just advertising businesses. Mm. And when the economy slows, their revenues will slow. Is that mm. too cynical of you? No, it's not. I mean, there is cyclical risk in these. I'm glad you point that out because that's not necessarily the consensus view on these stocks. I think there's more cyclicality than perhaps some people realize. And that will be an issue. I think one of the great things, though, about the Google model is that it's just so diverse. It's spread across so many advertisers, uh, small and large. Um, there could be some degradation in pricing in a recession. But will Google still be able to fill its inventory? We think it will. And therefore, the actual dip in Google's earnings power in a recession could be quite modest. But it's definitely something to keep in mind. And, and uh, you know, 12, 18 months out, that will be much more of a feature, I think. The, the other phenomenon in the last three months has been a big revival in the IPO market. Mm. We've seen big names like Uber, Lyft, and Slack all coming to the market. Yeah. Uh, is, is that a sign of things getting overheated? Have you been participating in some of these new issues? Yes. Um, I think 
it is a sign that we're in the late stage of a bull market for sure. Um, it's typically what happens is the IPO volume picks up very materially towards the end of a bull market. As managements and owners, which are very often private equity owners, try to cash in on high valuations. And there's no question that that is what we're seeing now. We've seen a plethora of IPOs, mostly in the US, mostly in the tech sector. Most of them, from the point of view of the issuers, have been very successful. Uber and Lyft actually are the standout um, uh, sort of failures in, a, in an IPO context, although they've since recovered some quite a lot of ground. But there have been some spectacular successes and not necessarily actually to be honest the ones that we expected uh zoom video for example is a small company with 300 million dollars in revenues and yet the market capitalization today post the ipo is 24 billion dollars and you can obviously imply from that that the market's perfectly prepared to pay 30 times revenues uh, for a company whose technology is a step forward but it's not that big a step forward and Slack is a somewhat similar situation. There have been a number of IPOs where you have to question the sustainability of the multiples and the sustainability of, of uh, the, the capitalizations as, as things stand. Let's move on to the <clears throat> more short-term outlook as we will see the start of the earnings season end of this week mm. um, into next week. Uh, expectations have been falling pretty steadily since the start of this year and I think are slightly negative in terms of year-on-year, second-quarter on second-quarter second mm. expectations. D does the earnings season have the potential to surprise either way? Mm. I think it does, Gavin. I think it's going to surprise positively. Uh, and that's because expectations have come down a long way. They came down a long way after the fourth quarter drawdown and you'll recall that was a pretty powerful drawdown. And that's when investors started thinking seriously about the growth outlook. And it's when you saw a slashing of earnings estimates, particularly in the tech sector, as such that first quarter earnings estimates and second quarter earnings estimates uh, were negative uh, for consensus. First quarter has surprised positively, not hugely, but positive. It was a positive overall number, not a negative number. I think it'll be the same for the second quarter, simply because there's a lot of momentum in the economy, particularly the US economy tariffs haven't really had an impact yet um, and on that basis uh, particularly because the consumer is in good shape I think the second quarter could prove to be surprisingly good that could provide the additional leg to markets uh, that pushes investors retail investors in particular into the market in the coming weeks what worries me though is the second half because in the second half the consensus is assuming a very significant rebound in earnings, particularly in the fourth quarter. The concern is going, consensus is going for something like eight to ten percent earnings growth year on year. That doesn't seem feasible, and that's where I think we get the disappointment. Let's move away from the US for a moment and talk about emerging markets. Mm. Was there a number of things going on in a macro sense which mm. are potentially quite favourable to emerging markets, whether it's uh, the trade issue with China or whether it's a slightly weaker dollar, are you still finding attractive opportunities at a stock level in emerging countries? We are, um, and we continue uh, to find those opportunities, and I suspect we'll be finding more of them as some of these markets um, and economies stabilize and indeed potentially accelerate. I mean, it's quite interesting looking, looking at the asset class as a whole. 
it is a very diverse asset class now. You think about the dynamics in China versus the dynamics in India versus the dynamics in Latin America. Um, we're at very different phases with very different drivers of the economies and of the stock markets. But in each case, actually, we can see signs of stabilization, signs of improvement, signs of political change that could be quite supportive for markets, particularly in Latin America, you've got political change that's supportive, um, I think, for stock markets, as in Brazil. In India, you've got the election out of the way, you've got um, a lot of stimulus going into the economy, and an economy actually that's quite unaffected by global trade in many respects, trade wars. In China, you've obviously got the headwind of tariffs, but the domestic economy seems to be in very good shape. And actually, uh, the overall economy seems to be stabilizing quite well, despite the headwinds on the trade front. And uh, that again, I think will present some opportunities. So I think the bottom line for me is, of course, we still got a lot of exposure to the US. That's where the economy has the most momentum. But incrementally, we're going to be doing more outside the US, specifically in emerging markets. And you continue to like the big Chinese tech giants, Tencent and Alibaba in particular? Yeah, we do, very much so. Inter interesting, they have actually lagged their US counterparts by some considerable margin. Um, there have been some reasons for that. I mean, Tencent's had some, some, some regulatory uh, influence um, that's impacted them short term around, uh, around gaming and mobile gaming. The authorities have cracked down a little, we know that. But the business model hasn't changed, and actually the environment seems to be improving for them now uh, in terms of their core gaming franchises as well. So both Tencent and Alibaba actually look to us to be quite compelling versus their US peers, uh, and we'll be adding to those. And just as a final question on the issue of disruption, mm. where we're launching a disruption fund, and yeah. you're about to publish a short perspective on how to manage disruption, yeah. which are the industries where either there's the greatest vulnerability or the greatest opportunities in your mind at mm. the moment from disruptive trends? Yeah, um, <coughs> fascina fascinating mm. subject, which I could, could talk for a long uh, time, Gavin, but you, you, know, you, went, you went to allow me, I've got 60 seconds. Uh, the, the, the simple answer is the area that we're most excited by incrementally is healthcare because of the trends in genomics and gene therapy, which are advancing at an extraordinary rate and completely changing the dynamics of drug discovery and innovation in healthcare. Very excited about that space. And the losers from that will be the big incumbent pharmaceuticals companies? Possibly, although they're all racing to buy small biotech startups, start particularly those that are focused on, on gene therapy. So there's a lot, of, a lot of deal activity in that space. I wouldn't say that the big companies will necessarily be losers it could be win-win. I think the, the the smaller innovative companies in that space, in some cases, will deliver spectacular returns over the next two, three years. And on the flip side, just to finish up, mm. more broadly, in terms of losers, it's interesting that we just see ongoing pain in big parts of the retail industry, where traditional retail models are being hugely disrupted as we know by online retailers and it's interesting to note that the amongst the five worst performers in the S&P this year four of them are retailers. 
as you say, we could carry on on the subject of disruption for hours, but just to draw this podcast to a close, um, Alex repeated his concern that the second half of 2019 will be less good than the first half. Perhaps not surprising given the strength of the first half. In the very short term, there may be some upside to come through from the earnings season in the US, which reflects the momentum in the US economy. But at the same time, there are some signs of excess, in particular in the pricing of IPOs. We're beginning to see some things that are uh, reminiscent of the situation in 1999, with companies being priced off large multiples of sales and no earnings uh, to speak of. But in general, I think your message is that valuation is not exceptional uh, among large cap equities, uh, either in the US or in the rest of the world. So any downside is likely to be limited. Thank you very much again, Alex, and thank you very much all for listening.